I actually wanted to double check if Saudi Arabia, the nation where you are at the moment, is actually participating in elections this year. No, we are not. Uh, 46% of the global population is. Mm. And as you list that long list, I think there's over 30 democracies that are. So it's certainly a sort of a potentially turbulent year and uh, and much to watch. Uh, obviously, South Africans are quite obsessed come May, I guess. Mm. And many other countries are as well. So much, much, much change on the horizon potentially. Very true. And maybe let's start <clears throat> there, right? Typically, uh, we tend to think or some actually question, why is it that politics does have such a significant influence on the stability and even economic performance of a country? So maybe take us back there. Do elections actually need to add this level of uncertainty in the market? So, Google, I've always said my favorite line, and uh, this has been a constant for for many, many years. The emerging market story is a governance story. And and I think uh, history has proven me correct on this one. The more better governed an economy is, especially in terms of economic governance, um, good political control, good policies, the more successful a country ultimate will be. Uh, and obviously, the flip side of that as well. I think what we're seeing now, it's exactly... What, four years, isn't it? Think back. It's four years since yeah. we started hearing about this coronavirus thing. The world sort of largely normalized in 23. We did not have a big dislocation, sort of recession and sort of, you know, coming off a, a sugar rush of 21, 22, a Fed pump priming, et cetera. And it seems to manage pretty well, especially emerging markets, uh, being able to contain inflation better, uh, certainly in many developed countries' cases. But I think what is happening now is is, is a couple of big trends and maybe we can um, <clears throat> we can discuss firstly is that you know we're looking increasingly countries um, capital needs uh, capital seeks trust uh, investors need to trust the governments in which they are putting sizable amounts of money I think increasingly this year that will certainly uh, raise eyebrows in many cases I think secondly we're seeing the um, <clears throat> you know the, we've talked about you know this again US election year more protectionism um, we're seeing a, a world that is increasingly, uh, I wouldn't say, you know, deglobalization, that's a bit strong, but certain countries are certainly being marginalized. And I've been using that word for a while as well. Mm. I looked at a figure that in the last six years or so, $225 billion has been wiped off China's exports to the U.S. That accounts for that's roughly 7% of total China's exports to the U.S., which is a sizable chunk. And what that may be negative from a deglobalization perspective and protectionism, all those uh, nasty things, but it's certainly providing opportunity. And the countries are benefiting from this are those with very, this is sort of a punchline, very proactive industrial policies mm. uh, and increasingly very efficient logistics. Think uh, Mexico, I think uh, Vietnam, where Vietnam almost is a sort of a new Chinese province, effectively, largely to sort of, um, uh, you know, get around effectively sort of U.S. sanctions and and protectionist policies, and the Chinese investors are doing much the same in terms of Mexico as well, and not to dissimilar in Eastern Europe, um, we're seeing Chinese investors putting money in factories into Eastern emerging Europe. Mm-hmm. for access into the EU market. So these are the sort of key trends, I think, for uh, for emerging markets going forward. But ultimately, it comes down to, uh, my favorite phrase, structural reform. Yeah. Are governments doing the right thing to make life easier for capital? That's what it comes down to. 
I'm so glad you allude to that because it is certainly uh, the phrase and the, uh, the buzzword that we've been hearing for quite a while, yeah, even impacting an economy like our very own here in South Africa. Uh, and I'm keen to understand if there are any economies who within the emerging market space have been doing this. I think of Russia. They have the elections in March and we're well aware that they're still stuck in conflict with Ukraine, also hosting its elections in March. Uh, Rwanda, though, is certainly one economy that you and I have spoken about uh, over the last few years that uh, has taken a few steps in the right direction. Uh, problems of Rwanda, you know, great story. Economically, just too small to really move a needle for the continent, you know. Um, <clears throat> it's not a South Africa, it's not an Egypt, it's not a Nigeria, it's not a Kenya. Um, and it, it's a great story, but it's too small to count, unfortunately. But coming back to structural reform, and, and this is the real, <clears throat> the real sort of secret source of growth and success going forward now, is what is, you know, it's easy to say, what is structural reform? Well, effectively, it's underpinned by liberalization. Uh, privatization um, and uh, and really sort of uh, and enhanced economic efficiency that results from these uh, from these uh, sort of tailwind policies that governments should be putting in place, enhancing competition, making as I said earlier um, more incentives to capital and, and driving growth forward. And so, the one country you mentioned and my home is, is Saudi Arabia, and we're seeing. A country that is is really really on the move. This is a poster boy of structural reform. We will get roughly maybe four four and a half percent GDP next year. Uh, significant investment spent. Yes, oil prices are pretty buoyant and pretty high. It's underpinning things still, but we're diversifying rapidly, and uh, we actually have a minister of privatisation. It's fantastic. Whoa, privatising the SOEs or just assisting the private really? sector? Oh yes, hundred percent. So, so we have a PIF, which is the you know one of the world's largest sovereign wealth funds, which is serving as a catalyst to 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 finance new industries, uh, and not from this heavy statist political deployee sort of approach. Um, we finance these new sectors, new companies, which are being sort of you know born out of of, of PIF sort of investment funds and strategic sort of plays for the country, and uh, then we scour the world for world's best talent to run them. Um, so wow. that's why a lot of sort of, you know, foreign people moving in here uh, from all corners of the world and are being employed at C-suite level uh, to run these companies as they should be run professionally, apolitically and profitably ultimately. And and that is sort of a major play. It's, it's a new it's a new sort of model almost of how a model is too strong a word. It's very different to the China Inc. approach, which was very sort of state statist and very state heavy. Mm-hmm. This is more about uh, a catalytic role, enablement role. Um, and really, sort of focusing on what are the strategic strategic priorities for the for the, um, uh, for the economy in the region going forward, and, and putting you know strong money behind it with strong governance, and most importantly, the best people to run these assets. Hundred percent. There's clearly a lot of lessons that we should uh, seek to learn there. And it reminds me of the conversations we've had in the past as well around Singapore uh, and, and how that also, I guess, uh, shares some some similarities to economies on the African continent specifically. But speaking about the African continent, we know that when it comes to our currency. And this is where we tend to experience a, a significant amount of volatility, so much so that it also has a significant impact on our national debt levels. And I'm keen to understand with the elections um, uh, and, of course, governments trying to create a conducive environment for uh, investment, uh, if, again, we could potentially see significant shifts in currency shivers. Well, there's a here the China, I bring China into it. Uh, China's growth is, has subsided significantly. And the days of African commodity exporting economies relying on China's growth, uh, i.e. urbanization effectively, 
to sell highly inflated priced commodities into China. Don't shoot the messenger, Google. Those days are gone. And we knew it was coming 10 years ago, at least. Mm -hmm. It's called rebalancing. Chinese sentiment is negative. There's there's challenges, and that's probably an understatement in the real estate sector, overcapacity. And a major drive of GDP is Chinese, you know, uh, house real estate prices. So if China pump primes, which many countries in Africa would hope it would, that also would result in a declining value of a renminbi. Yes, it would boost export competitiveness, be a fuel, uh, be a, a force perhaps for deindustrialization once again because of a more competitive currency. But at the same time, it would uh, reduce China's GDP rate to the US. And that's a very strong political goal of, of the current administration and Xi Jinping, which would not be, wouldn't go down well publicly. So what's this? So that sounds like a very bad news story for South Africa and Africa, and it actually is. Uh, the upside is is FDI is also not going to China where it used to. So there's these new opportunities for other emerging economies to seize the opportunity. And FDI, which used to go to China, is now looking for more creative options and options which are a bit more stable, predictable, and 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 uh, as mentioned earlier, capital uh, capital finds a more trusted home. As I mentioned, Mexico, uh, Vietnam. Saudi uh, GCC region, the property market here is just running so hot. It's probably the best place to invest globally right now, I would say. It's incredible. So what we're seeing is there's is 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 an upside opportunity for countries that are reforming. The challenges for South Africa, once again, is sort of death by a thousand cuts every day. There's something sort of, you know, the logistics crisis, infrastructure, you know, and on it goes. So can we benefit, should we be benefiting currency issues aside from getting uh, departing FDI almost from China into South Africa. Well, it should, in theory, it should be happening, but but I'm afraid for reasons you know better than most, it uh, unfortunately is not. Sure. Martin, it's going to be a very interesting one, uh, uh, and I'm assuming that this will also be a factor, especially when it comes to the local currency. We'll have to leave it there for today, Martin, but always a pleasure speaking to you and looking forward to uh, much more of the analysis that you'll be able to provide for us in the uh, upcoming months. Uh, thank you again for your time this evening. If you missed it live, catch the broadcast on kaya959.co.za.